Broadcasting from the wine country in California, this is the Kick-Ass Relationship Show, where intimate secrets and modern advice for couples is shared to elevate your relationship to live sexier, happier, and have way more fun. We believe success in life is better when mixed with excitement and love. And now, here's your kick-ass relationship coach and best-selling author, Midori Verity. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am, I've been anticipating today's show because this guest is a unique guest. He um, is someone who is really changing the face of mental health issues. And he is a complete, just kind of a badass, quite frankly, but also an inspiration to others. And I'm so happy to bring him to all of you. But he's gonna be talking about his struggles that he's had, but also unique ways that he's found to gain control over his challenges. So this is going to be a great episode for those of you who are with someone who is suffering from mental health challenges, or if maybe you are at any level. I know I have, and so that's why I am so excited to share this share this episode with all of you. But before we go there, like always, we are going to kick off the show with my three minutes to thrive. And today it's a little personable, personal. Um, I am going to be a little bit open and authentic about what's going on in my relationship. This last week has been really challenging. Most of you know that my partner and my husband and I, we've been together for almost 30 years. And in all honesty, even though I know what we're supposed to do all the time, I have studied and I've done all the the mental, um, the neuroplasticity and all those recordings in my head to be as positive as humanly possible. And I know the tricks and the, and the, and the habits that we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we get tripped up. And this last week is a perfect example of that. So my husband and I, we just things were building up and we had a huge blowout. So what my topic is today is is five steps to help you get back to a healthier relationship when you feel like you maybe want to go chuck your shoe at your partner. And for me, I wanted to chuck a giant combat boot at him, maybe a couple of combat boots, maybe a whole slew of combat boots. So let me talk about this because this is very raw and this just happened and this is how we got back to where we should be. So the first step is to really look at yourself. What's going on in your own life that is maybe not making you feel as confident, maybe causing you some challenges that you are not, you haven't really maybe accepted or that you're really looking into. So that's the first thing. Reflect on that. What's going on in your own little mini world? Number two, change your environment. So what I mean by this is if you happen to be in a little bit of an ugly environment or where there's a lot of toxic energy going around, so maybe it's a work environment, maybe it's your home environment, maybe it is just, you just need to change. I want you to get out of that. And here's what I mean by this. I don't mean go hang out with your girlfriends or your family and rip on your partner. That's the worst thing that you can do. What you want to do is go hang out with some people who are really positive, who lift you up, who have nothing to do with your relationship and just soak up their energy and get back to that higher vibration self that you know you can can be. Number three, get some space. 
we all sometimes need some space to help us gain some clarity and some breathing room. Again, this goes along with your environment, but sometimes we just need to have that space. If we stay too close confinement, often things will escalate and get worse. So do whatever you need to go take a walk in nature, go take a few days at the beach, whatever you can do to get yourself out of there so you can get back to, to calmness again. Number four is to, you're going to have to communicate. This is no matter what, you can't avoid this. You're going to have to communicate before you do. I want to make sure that you have had the time to do the, the three steps before that. So that you've had time to calm down, to reflect on yourself, see what's really going on and to be able to talk from your heart so that you are not attacking your partner, so that you have calmed down and you can talk in a more positive and helpful, constructive way. And then, of course, number five is reconnect. This is really important. And this is what my husband and I did last night. So when I say reconnect, do something that you know that you both love to do together. For my husband and I, we have always loved going to the little town right next to us. It's called, it's the name of it's Healdsburg, but we love the energy there. We usually will go up there and listen to music or go out to dinner or go have a couple glasses of wine, but that's what we did. But here's the key to this part is that you need to make sure that you are mentally in the right frame of mind. So you want to pre-qualify yourself. So before you go, envision yourself having a great time. Envision the the other times that you have gone and you've had so much fun, how it felt, what it was like, maybe what it smelled like, and do that before you go and really get into that zone. It is all subconscious. You guys, I talk about this all the time, but it's your subconscious. So that is what you're going to do. And then just go and have a great time. And what I want you to pay attention to, you may still have anger. Your partners may still have resentment and anger. But what I want you to pay attention to is when you're doing this, is there any amount of joy that you're experiencing during during this episode, doing whatever it is that you both enjoy? If there is, there's something worth fighting for. And so just keep on going back to these five steps and doing them over and over and over, and you will start to get back to where you used to be. All right, you guys, I hope that was helpful. But without further ado, let me introduce you to our guest today. His name is Justin Peck. He is number 49. He is a top motorsport driver, off-road USRA champion. I think it's fair to say that he is a complete adrenaline junkie. He's also an entrepreneur to multiple businesses. He's a dad and author to the recently released book, Bulletproof. What you may not know is that he's also bipolar and has other mental health issues that challenge him every day and that he came very, very close to ending his life. So let's hear his story. Welcome to the show, Justin. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Okay. So Justin, tell us, we want to jump right into this, but I want you to tell us, tell us some background. Tell us about your story and what what got you to where you are now. Oh, geez. That's That's a big question right there. Well, first off, I was born, right? No, uh-huh. no, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was born in, in 1973, um, so I'm, I'm kind of an aged kid, I suppose. Um, okay. Went, went through school, uh, you know, like, like normal kids do, um, but I also knew that through the courses of school, through elementary school, junior high, and high school, 
that I was a little different than, than most of the, the kids that, um, that were around. I was uh, severely bullied um, growing up, and which what it did in return is it made me kind of a, a recluse. So I didn't, um, I didn't have very many friends. Um, typically, if I had friends, it was only one, and I spent a lot of time with that one friend. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I would kind of move from friend to friend. But um, I always knew that there was a little something goofy about me. And uh, so graduated high school. Thank God to my dad, because if it wasn't for my father, I would never graduated high school. <laughs> and um, immediately got married. So immediately uh, got married. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Immediately got married. So I was married at the age of eighteen. Um, we had um, a baby not that far after, and uh, I basically had to grow up. I had to be. You know, I had to come from um, a place where I always had things taken care of for me with my parents to now being the dad and now having to be the breadwinner of the family. And so I went through the courses of, of finding a job and, and trying to support my family and um, ended up realizing that I was better um, to try to start my own company. Um, I, I would always fight with my bosses and stuff because I always thought that I, that my way was a little bit better than theirs. And so let me, let me ask you a question real quick, Justin. So you said in school that you felt like you were a little bit different. Can you expand on that? What do you mean you were a little bit different? Like you had funny ears or what, what, what was it that, that made you feel well, different? Well, the. Well, okay, so maybe I do have funny ears. I'm, you know, for me, I'm just a, I'm a goofy boy. I, you know, I, I, I'm probably a little hard on myself on that, but I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just a goofy kid, right? So, um, but on the, on the, the part of where I felt a little different was, it was more based on just the thoughts and the things, how I would react to, to situations. So the reason why the reason why kids are bullied is because they are different. Um, if you notice, um, and if you read a lot about you know how how kids are, um, they bully the kids that don't really fit in. And there was a lot of that time where I just I didn't fit in. I my mindset was different than other people's mindsets. You know, I would. I would think of things and I would act upon things that just weren't normal. And I tried so hard to fit in because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be that person that, that people liked and, and the people um, and my peers that looked up to or respected or, you know, whatever, whatever word that you want to put into that. But the harder that I tried, the more picked on I was. And, and so, you know, like I said, I kind of realized that it was a little better for me to just kind of pull everything back, build up the walls that, um, that we build up as a young child and, 
I kind of hid behind my own wall for a long time. Oh my gosh. I think that's such a common story, unfortunately. As heartbreaking as that is, it's, it's way too common. So when did you start to notice that you had some uh, depression or some other stuff going on mentally? Well, my uh, my very first, and I remember it very, very vividly, uh, my very first manic phase uh, was when I was 13 years old. And I... Uh, I was in charge of babysitting my younger brothers while my parents did their bowling night. I mean, that, that was their thing. Um, I listened to uh, to what um, your intro was, and and it's finding something that the couples like to do, and that's what my parents like to do. They they had, they were on a bowling week, and that was a way for them to get out and, and share time together. Well, I was in charge of, of babysitting my two younger brothers. And for some reason, something clicked, something went different in my brain, and I became very, very manic. Now, to me, during that time, I felt normal. Actually, I felt incredible. And, and so I you know, was buzzing around the house, and you know, we were, I was trying to talk my younger brothers into jumping off the roof into the trampoline and they're like, no, 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 we can't. We no, like we can't do that. And I'm like, no, you do it like this. And so I climb up on the roof and jump off the roof on the trampoline. And 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 my youngest brother, well, my middle brother, um, he ended up calling my mom and saying, hey, mother, like JP is acting very, very weird. And so my mom called my grandpa, which he's he's complete old school. And he um, he came over and basically kind of kicked my ass a little bit, and he um, he explained um, he explained to me that you know life isn't this and life isn't that. I mean, he he came from just an old school upbringing, and um, he will. Um, yeah, so he 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 thought I was on drugs. Oh my gosh! Wow. Okay. So, okay. So, explain what a manic. You know, because when I think of manic, I think of um, you're totally out of control. Explain. Give us some kind of the a, a better definition of that. <laughs> okay. Well, the only way that I can explain manic to someone is that. It's probably the most incredible feeling you've ever felt in your life. <laughs> it it wow. is. It's, is it, does it feel like you're on drugs? No, it doesn't. That's the whole thing. Is it is it feels like you have a ton of energy. You have your mind is going so fast, and it's just is everything is just crystal clear, and you can focus on the task at hand, and you can accomplish that task at hand. And um, and it lasts for days and days and days, sometimes months, sometimes a year. Um, throughout my life, that's been the times that I've been most successful in starting companies and new corporations. Is while I'm in my manic phase, I don't stop, and I 
uh, even though I fell a lot, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I, I fell more than most people, but I don't quit either. And so I, I go through the parts of, of just pushing, 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 you hustle, you hustle, you hustle, and eventually something hits and you, your business flourishes and, you know, you, you end up getting employees and then the, the business grows. And I mean, I've got several stories of that, you know, of that, that type. The downside to that is um, life has a funny way of balancing itself out. And so you can only stay in a manic phase for so long when your body or your mind says, okay, we're done being manic. Uh, it, you don't go back to baseline. You don't go back to normal reality. Um, you go a lot far, you know, you go farther down and deeper than that. So you go into a depressive state that can last for just as long. I mean, it can last a couple weeks up to a couple years. And so wow. that, as a young child, so you had to think, I was 13. That's been 30 years ago, 31 years ago. 31 years ago, if you tried to talk about mental illness, okay, you're locked up. They're going to throw you in a padded room and say, all right, like, just hang out in here for weeks at a time. There was no tolerance for mental health. We didn't understand mental health, and which is where the stigma basically started from. And um, so as a young child, going through these processes of having really high manic phases of where I felt like I could do anything to the point of having a depressive phase where I couldn't get out of bed to go to school, it, um, it was rough. I don't want to act like I'm a victim because that's the farthest thing I am is, is a victim. I'm not a victim of my circumstance. Right. But, I, I think that's the last thing that anyone would think. Yeah. But the, the, that's where I became different is when you're in a manic phase. So, so one thing that I want to really, really like reiterate to listeners and the people that, that hear my story is that when you're in a bipolar episode, whether it be manic or depressive, we don't know that we're there. We don't understand that we're manic. We just feel like we're feeling good. When we're in a depressive state, it's not that we're, it's not like a big despair. Um, uh, I, the, the words kind of lose me there for a minute, but it's, it's not like you know that you're depressed, right? You just lay in your bed and watch TV, and you do that for a long time. And then... Almost like you have no motivation to do anything else? Could that be yeah, a way to think yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah there, there's no motivation. There's no ambition. Um, there's a lot of times that, you know, I mean, you need sight stimulants. So, you know, music has always been a good thing for me. TV, you know, it's watching racing and, and doing the, the goofy things that I do. That, you know, becomes a normal. And what happens for me on, on the depressive side is that I'll wake up in the morning and say, you know what? Like, I'm good. 
I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to lay here until like noon. Then noon comes, and I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to lay here until like 3. And then 3 turns into 7, and then by that time, it's bedtime again, right? So now I'm just going to hang out in bed until the next morning, and then it starts to become routine. Um, the other thing that I want to really convey is that the mental disorder isn't like a cold. It's not like a flu. It's not like the flu. Um, when you get a cold, it goes away eventually. The flu, it, it eventually goes away. The difference is that a mental illness doesn't go away. It's always there. So it's even though I don't know the different stages that I'm in, it it's always there and it's always looming. And so, you know, I have to trust the people that love me and the people that I surround myself with to kind of just slap me around and say, all right, Justin, like, stop. We can see this. Um, my ex-wife, she, she lived with it for a long time with me, and um, she is the person that, that can say, all right, you're acting weird. You're acting different. I need you to, like, really bring, aware, like, bring awareness to what you're doing and your actions and maybe change them a little bit, change your medication just a little bit, do something different to kind of pull you out of either the depressive or the manic. Because the manic can be destructive. Um, mm. there, there's a lot of addiction that can go with the manic phase, whether it be self-medicating, um, whether it be gambling, whether it be, you know, whatever. Um, so manic can be, can be self-destructive. And so when the people around me, when they can see that, they, that's kind of when they pipe in and say, look, you got to, you got to relax just a little bit. So let me ask you a question, Jess. I have so many questions about all this because this is so fascinating to me. Could, um, you know, I know that there's, or I'm assuming there's different levels of manic, there's different levels of depression. Could someone be suffering from or going through these challenges and, but it's, it's, people aren't quite sure what's going on. It might not be so severe that people think there might be really be a bigger issue going on. Is that common? Oh, of course. No, I, no, absolutely. I mean, you almost nailed it. So, um, so I've had the opportunity to speak in front of big crowds of people and to be able to convey my message um, to several people via TV, you know, via radio, um, and then standing on stage. And what there's a couple constants that I've always that I've noticed. There's things that are unique in certain circumstances, but there are also other things that are very, very spot on that always seem to happen. And one of the big things is that people that have a mental disorder, either A, know that they have it, but don't say anything because of the stigma, mm -hmm. or B, they know that something's going on, but they're afraid of having someone tell them that something's going on. And so, yeah, you can have symptoms, you can have um, behavioral issues, um, 
you know, through PTSD, through schizophrenia, through bipolar, through depression, through the whole gamut of, of mental disorder. But I found that a lot of people have a struggle or an issue or embarrassment of being able to go to a doctor and say, hey, look, you know what, I'm feeling this way. Because when you do that, you become vulnerable. And when you start knocking down walls and starting to be vulnerable to people that you trust kind of, right? We trust our doctor, right, to, to give us medical advice. Right. But when you, when you open up to someone about emotion, okay, you're really breaking down that vulnerable wall. And so we have a hard time with that. And mm. that's, why, that's why I've always, you know, I'm a huge proponent in, in explaining to people that the people that you need to rely on are the people that love you the most. The people that are around you, the people that, that you surround, you know, whether friends, family, whoever, you need to be able to confide, confide into them. And those people need to be able to listen as well. And yeah. that needs this to is be such a support group. Yeah, this is such a huge topic. Um, and I think every one of us is touched by someone who's either suffering from it or maybe we're going through it in some, in, at some level. So we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to delve into this deeper and talk about some of the strategies, Justin, that you have used to help you deal with this daily issue and how we can help others. So everyone stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. Hey, this is me, Dory, and I want to express how grateful I am for you joining me on my show. And for this, I have a very special gift for you that I am super excited to tell you about. It's a tool. And it's a tool that I have for those of you who are in a relationship and maybe feeling frustration and anxiety revolving around this partnership, like all of us do at some point, right? But it doesn't have to stay this way. The tool I'm talking about is my Energized Relationship Quiz. All you do is you simply answer six super simple questions, enter your email, and then my custom diagnosis will pop up and reveal the relationship issue. After that, it'll give you the tools to change your situation starting today, right away, right now. So stop arguing over the same things. Get your relationship back to that healthy and happy place you want it and love being with your partner again. Yes, it can happen. Here's the coolest part. It's free. And like I said earlier, it's only six super easy questions. So all you have to do is go to my Facebook page, which is the at sign, Midori Verity, and type quiz in my messenger, and it'll take you right to the quiz. If you have questions, simply ask me on Messenger and I'll personally answer. In fact, I would love to hear your feedback. So once again, just go to my Facebook page, which is the at sign Midori Verity and type quiz in my messenger. That's it. I look forward to connecting with you. Welcome back, everyone. We are having a deep conversation with Justin Peck and learning so much. I mean, I did not understand 
mental health issues, at least what Justin has talked about at all. I was absolutely 100% ignorant as far as this goes. And so I so appreciate learning all this. But now I want to go, I want to talk about um, a few different things. One, I want to talk about the point where you really um, decided to make a massive change in your life. You kind of came to a pinnacle in your life, Justin. And can you can you bring us to that point and tell us what um, what transpired and how you dug yourself out of that? Yeah, I. Um, are you ready for a ride? <laughs> I, we're ready. We are super ready. Okay. So uh, it was. Geez, time flies. Um. It was probably 12 years ago, roughly. So, you know, it puts me, you know, mid-30s, lower 30s. And I had been, you know, I was running the company. Um, You know, I had 300 employees. You know, I I had, um, you have to have broad shoulders. So, was carrying the weight of a lot of people. Um, I had a lot of families to feed. Um, and wanted to make sure that that uh, that I was doing my job to be able to uh, to supply work for other people. So I remember one morning, um, you know, I had I had just not felt right for the last like six months of my life, and things were just everything that I touched was a struggle. Everything that I did was was harder than it should have been. And so I woke up one morning, uh, you know, early, like I typically did. And I was married at the time and, and I leaned over and, and kissed my wife, um, while she was, she was still sleeping. And I got up and I showered and I got dressed, um, normal day activity. Um, I went upstairs and gave my children big hugs and big kisses and, and told them that daddy loved them and and went out back and grabbed my dog, which normal thing, I love my dog, and put my dog in the back seat and we went to work. And my work at that time, because I was the owner, was was basically checking on job sites. I was a, a, a construction goon like most of the people are nowadays. So mm-hmm. So I was checking job sites and and um, I went to one job site. Everything was good there. I went to another job site. Everything was good there. And then, just for it, just kind of a random thought in my mind. It's like, you know what? I need to unplug for a minute. So I drove up a canyon that was that was pretty close to my house, and the canyon took me clear to the top of the of this mountain that overlooked the valley below and so I parked my truck and and had my music on and I let the the dog out and the dog was running around because she loved the place we used to go there often and she was running around and and I was watching her her happiness and her enjoyment of the freedom that she had and I was reflecting back on my life and feeling despair and feeling no self-worth and doubting my ability all of the time. And so I got out a notebook 
and I'm not a rider. I just like I've never really been a rider, and but I just kind of started writing down thoughts, and the thoughts were mostly based on you know to my kids, I love you, Daddy loves you, I'm very proud of you, and to my mother, I'm sorry if I was a bad kid. I'm sorry that I failed you. I, I'm sorry that that I did this, that, or the other thing. Um, and then, you know, to my wife and then to a very, very dear friend of mine, I wrote um, something that was very, very heartfelt. And I put the notebook down and was watching the dog um, run around and a song had come on that that I really, really enjoyed. And in one brief moment, and I'm like, when I say brief moment, I'm talking seconds. Um, I opened up the center console of my truck and loaded my pistol and put the pistol to my head and pulled the trigger. (sighs) And it was, it was one of those moments that rational thought turned into to turned into irrational thinking and when i pulled the trigger all i got from the whole deal was a click right it was just a loud click i was expecting life to end and so i sat there and i unchambered the bullet and the bullet flipped up in the air and landed in my lap and I picked up the bullet and looked at it, and you could see where the firing pin had hit the back of the bullet, and it just didn't go off. The crazy thing about it is it wasn't, you know, a week ago I had taken the pistol out and did some target practice and probably shot 500 rounds through this gun and never a misfire. And it just so happened to be that this particular round didn't go off. Wow. I am sitting here with my mouth, my jaw to the floor, listening to you. And, and I'm in such, I don't know if shock is the word for everything, meaning that I can't believe I, you know, I, I, when you think of suicide, I, 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 I always thought that it was something that was building up for a long, long time. It wasn't something that just could happen in a split second. You know, it's a split second decision. That's a huge shock to me. But number two, that angels, something bigger than us was watching over you and knew that there's more for you. Well, that's kind of what I, that's kind of where my, my mindset went. Right. And so there are there are defining moments in one's life that you realize that your actions and the things that you do don't just affect you. Um, once we realize that we're not like we shouldn't be selfish people, and that even though even though you have suicide thoughts or suicide tendencies. It's it's almost like you're robbing God of his plan for you. Mm-hmm. You're trespassing on his property. Right. And and so, you know, like I said, there are there are those defining moments that that you that you kind of sit back and go, Wow, like 
I can't believe that just happened to me. And so when the when the gun didn't go off, I loaded it again. <gasps> and it was, the bullet was in the chamber. And I put it up to my head again. And I fought long and hard this time. And it wasn't one of those spur-of-the-moment things. And I put the gun down. I unchambered the bullet, put my gun away, loaded my dog, and as I was driving down the canyon, of course, I didn't have any cell phone service, and so as I'm driving down the canyon, here again, I'm listening to my music, and I'm in, like, I am sobbing. I am very, very emotional and very just basically losing my mind because I knew that the culmination of all of the years of whether it's being picked on, whether it's being having ups and downs, the entire culmination of my life came down to to that one moment. And at that one moment, I chose to quit. And mm. that, that's very hard for me, cause just for me personally, because I'm not a quitter in life. I don't quit anything. And, and so when I, I finally got down to the bottom of the canyon and I called my doctor, um, which is, you know, a good friend of mine. He's delivered all my children. Um, and I called him and said, Hey, you know, like, this is what I did. And he's like, all right, JP, like you need to drive to my office right now. He goes, I will clear my schedule. I will tell other patients that I had something come up. You need to come down and we need to talk. So I did that. And we, I explained to him the feelings and the thoughts. And I, you know, I kind of, I broke down that barrier. I broke down that wall and was very, very vulnerable to him. And he, um, he's like, okay, well, what we need to do, I need you to fill out this piece of paper. And then, this different piece of paper and then this different piece of paper. And, and they were, um, there's three different tests and, you know, I answered them truthfully and I answered them how I, how I thought that I should. And he looked at him and looked up at me and looked back down at him again. And he's like, listen, like you, like there's nothing wrong with you. Like, don't get me wrong. You're not dying. He goes, however, um, you have bipolar. You you are a class one bipolar disorder um, guy. Like it's mm. it's right here in black and white. And that's that was the first that. that that ever was brought to your attention. That's this is the yeah. first time that someone finally. Well, it sounds like this is the first time that you actually really opened up and was honest. Yeah about about what's going on in in your own mental life and then so number two that was that's the first time that you ever heard here's why here's what's really yeah. going on wow it was wow. Um, okay needless to say it was a shock of course right because you didn't because i had the stigma too like i i didn't I didn't know anything about mental health. I didn't know. The, the only thing that I knew is from what the movie shows, right? <laughs> like when you watch mm-hmm. a movie and someone's crazy, then, then they're crazy. And, you know, they, 
they get put into a straight jacket and thrown into a padded room and until they're not crazy anymore. And so I had that, I had that mentality and I had that stigma and it was, it was kind of a hard um, realization to me and I processed it for a few days and I knew that if I didn't do something about it, that I wouldn't get another chance. The, the possibilities of me going through that exact same process and pulling the trigger again was very, very high. And so between me and my doctor, um, and I didn't, honestly, I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't tell my children. I didn't tell my friends. It was just more of a, a secret between me and my doctor, and I didn't talk about it. But we did get me on medication. And, you know, back then, even 12 years ago, back then, mental illness still wasn't talked about. It was not, it wasn't, it wasn't day-to-day conversation. People didn't talk right. about that because here again, you have to be vulnerable. You have to open up and and talk about your deepest, darkest demons to people. And that's hard. That's hard for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And so, we, so we started medication and I've went through a gamut of, of different type of meds. I mean, I probably have taken every single form of medication you can possibly find. And um, it took a bit. It took about a year before I started finding something that that worked and and kind of a a mood stabilizer. And, you know, ever since then, you know, I still go through the stages. I still go through manic. I still go through through the the depression. Um, You know, I'm 44 years old. And um, February of this year, I just I kind of got into a bad place. And I didn't leave my room um, until the end of April. So I was mm-hmm. there February, March, and April. I was, I, I was basically in bed for three months. And, and how did you finally? How did you finally get out? How did you finally make a shift? Well, the one thing that I've always done um, that would always force me to get out of bed is my race car. And mm. there's just something about me putting on my helmet. Um, the helmet, to, the helmet to me is my medication. That's my ultimate drug. And so in that three month period of time, even though I was in bed and I didn't want to get out of bed when it, when it came to race weekends, I would make sure that my plane was booked. I would fly out on a Thursday night. Um, we would practice on the Friday. We would race Saturday and Sunday. I would fly home Monday morning. And then from Monday morning until the next time I had to go race, I stayed in bed. And so that got me out of the house at least for a couple days here and there. Um, but I think probably the turning point for me this last time was that like I just got tired of it. I knew what I knew what was going on. I've been down this road several times in the past. And so I knew what was going on and um it was a Friday, just a random Friday. 
I I thought to myself, you know what? You're done. Like, you're done being like this. I'm going to give you the weekend. So I was giving myself the weekend. You can stay in bed Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday morning, you're going to pull your head out of your butt and you're going to go do something. You're going to go, if you have to go sit out in a lawn chair and soak up the sunshine, then do that. But you need to get out of this 13 by 13 foot box. And that's what I did. Um, I did it probably a little bit more extreme, <laughs> which is typically <laughs> my life. Um, I woke up in the morning on, on that Monday. I woke up early and got my gym clothes on, and I went to the gym for three hours. And I started my gym routine, and I started my meal prep, and I, you know, I started those type of things. And um, it, it, it pulled me out of it and started different medication and, and, you know, now, you know, here I am, you know, months later and I feel good. I don't. So let me, Justin, let me ask you because, you know, I'm assuming you're, are you single now or do you not have someone who's living with you? No. Yeah. I'm i uh, I'm a single boy. I've, okay. um, I've, yeah, I've been, I've been single for, for eight years, which I would have okay. to say that I would like, if if we have time in this, I would like to talk about um, relationship parts of this because it's it's part of your show, which yeah. was a big, which was a huge intrigue to me, um, and it's something that I would like to talk about when we, when we have time, if we have time. Yeah, so we'll we'll go into that right after that, right after this question, um, because I would love to with you. So for someone who is suffering, and if you can write, you know, if if you have a loved one, if it's your children, if it's your partner, or your boss, whatever it is, if if we're noticing that they're going through something that seems like maybe it's depression, what can we do to help them so you, so they can get out of it quicker than a couple months? The the biggest thing is is as a friend or as a family member, um, it's really, really hard to to comprehend what what, what we go through on a day to day basis. Yeah. It's really hard to explain to someone your thoughts and your emotions, and and so when when someone when a loved one sees that you know their friend or their spouse or whatever is acting different, that is you know, not getting out of bed or that they're in a stage of where they don't stop. They just, they go and they don't sleep very much. Be aware of that, pay attention to that, and then bring it to the attention of the person that, that is doing those actions. And it's, I'm not saying that it's, that it's anybody's responsibility because it's not, but but take that opportunity to sit down with that person and say, you know, hey, man, like, do you feel okay? Are you all right? These are the things that I noticed that you're doing, and I'm curious why you're acting like this. Now, the first response that you'll always get is, no, I'm good. Like, everything's good. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And... But you got to kind of dig just a little bit, and eventually they'll open up. And once they open up, then that's the point where you say, "Look, let's like you and I both, let's go talk to somebody. 
let's go talk to someone that either A, knows about it, or B, is a medical professional, or or let's just let's talk to someone, whether it be, you know, your your chaplain at your at your at your church or someone that, that you trust. But the biggest thing that you can do is communicate and have a really, really good open line of communication. And if you have that, then you can you can figure things out. You can figure anything out if you talk about it enough. Yeah. It's just kind of getting that door open. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Does it just help them kind of acknowledge it and and know that maybe someone is on their side and is willing to walk through that path with them? Yeah. Well, it, it's it's like I said before, a lot of times we don't even know we're acting this way. We don't mm, know that gosh. we're in a manic stage. Okay. We just feel like we're feeling good. And so when it's when it's not a normal activity that is something that 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 other person notices and they're acting different, bring it up to them. And you'll eventually it may take a little bit of uh of coaxing, but yeah. They'll eventually break down. And then that's the beginning. And the beginning um of possibly getting on meds and possibly figuring out you know, their life. Okay. God, that's so helpful. That's so interesting to hear hear, hear from your point of view, because for those of us who aren't suffering it, obviously, at least I am so ignorant and had no clue of, of what it was really like. Okay. But now I really want to go into the relationship part. So tell me, tell me where you want to go with this. <laughs> so, Relationships and bipolar disorder, um, it can be like oil and water, it can be mm-hmm. like black and white. It's, um, it's, it's very, very, it's very difficult. Um, and I, I can talk about it on the side of being the guy that's goofy. Um, but I've also had the opportunity because my ex-wife, um, she's a she's a really good friend of mine. I mean, we have four children together, and so, and you know, we were also married at the age of eighteen, and so I grew up with this woman. Yeah. And and so, you know, I asked her, and I've and I've talked to her a lot about what are the things that that she saw, and what are the things that you know possibly I could have done different, or the things that she could have uh, could have done different. And if you look at mental illness, um, I don't like to call it a, a, an illness or a disorder. Like I, to me, that is labeling. I like to call it a mental blessing. <laughs> because, mm, okay, because I like I, that. Because I'm telling you that if you're ever going to have anything bipolar, is what you want because it's a ride. It's always it's always <laughs> something new. So if you get um, to choose, choose yeah, bipolar. If, okay, good. I'm making yeah, that mental yeah. note. Yeah, Good. make that mental note. If you have a chance to choose diabetes or bipolar disorder, pick bipolar disorder because at least you can you can have great conversations with yourself and it's just it's fun. So <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> so the 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 relationship side, um and, and you know, I really haven't researched the statistic on it. I probably should. Um but from what I 
known from what I've been told and from what, you know, the people that I've talked to that is that the spouse uh, is, is pretty much the person that gets the raw end of the deal. Um, mm-hmm. my ex-wife, she got the raw end of the deal with me because she didn't, she didn't understand why I was acting like I was acting and she would ask, but she didn't, she didn't really understand how to ask in a way that I was willing to give her that information. Even though I was married to her, even though I loved her dearly, I didn't feel comfortable enough opening up that door to her. Um, maybe it was ego, maybe it was embarrassment, maybe it was, you know, a gamut of different things. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. But on her end, um, she would say a lot that in certain moments of our relationship, it was really, really good. And there was a lot of love and a lot of compassion in that relationship. But the times that it was bad and that I was in a manic phase going off into my own little planet, it was very, very hard for her. And she did not know how to control the situation. Um, When I was in the depressive state and I'm laying in bed, she would look at me and say, you're being lazy. You need to, you need to be a man. You need to grow up. You need to you need to go work. You've got a family to provide for. Well, when that happens, as a man, that it's almost an attack on your manhood. Right. And you start thinking, all right, maybe I am lazy. Maybe I am these things that she's saying. And ultimately, what it does is it is it really puts a huge sense of I'm not worthy, um, no self-worth, very low self-esteem because the person that I care about, the person that I'm with, the person I'm married to, now has this negative image of me. And right. if it was possible for me, if there was a book out there at that particular time that she could read and the, and we both knew what was going on, that she could read and she could understand the signs and she could understand it just a little bit better, I probably would still be married to her. So the relationship part is, I'm not saying it's impossible because it's not. Nothing's impossible in this world, but um, mental illness does pose a different set of challenges in a relationship, and a lot of it comes from tolerance. You need yeah. to be able to have to, you need to have the tolerance and the education and like you said at the very beginning of the show, the open lines of communication needs to be strong. Yeah. And you know, oh my god, I'm so glad that you brought this all up because so often we don't know how to react. So we react with frustration, with anger, with resentment. And that just perpetuates the situation. So I'm so thankful that you brought this up because regardless of whether it's mental illness or actually mental blessings or whether it is just, you know, someone's going through a rough time, it still comes back to the same basics. It really does. But I think 
Um, I, I do agree with you that that there needs to be a book. I can't believe it. I, I bet there is some kind of book out there. I'm going to do some research um, to show, to help people understand what's really going on so they can approach it differently and yeah. learn that, you know, better, better tactics on how to alleviate the situation and really help both of you get to a better place. Yes. So, there oh my are, gosh, Justin, there, this is... Yeah. This is, unfortunately, we're, we're towards the end, but this is such a big, um, a big issue. So I want to make sure that the audience knows how to reach you because you have so much to share and we have only touched the surface. Of course, I looked into a lot of what you do. And so I know that we've only just kind of scratched the surface of this, but Justin, how can people learn more about you and, and find out, you know, how can, how can they, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find your book, Bulletproof? So, um, so what I've done, um, it, it, if you go to justinpet.com, J-U-S-T-I-N-P-E-C-K.com, um, um, it, it basically gives kind of the synopsis of the book. Um, it's not, and here again, I'm not trying to sell the book. I'm not, you know, that's, that, that's, that's not a purpose there. But what it does and what I've really tried to do is to give, um, the blog posts and the things that I write about to be able to give a little bit more of awareness um, to people. And so, yes, you can purchase the book there. Um, if you ever want to read something that will make you laugh and cry all within <laughs> about five minutes, this, this is a, this is a good book. It brings out a lot of emotion. Um, the one thing about um, my book and about me in general is I lived a long I lived a long time with being embarrassed with my situation and with what I was going through, and um, it didn't take like it took me until I was forty years old before I I realized I didn't care anymore I didn't care what people thought of me, and <sighs> and so the book is very very raw it's um it's it's me and I didn't like I don't hold anything back and so. You know, there there are things that that like for example, my mother. When I gave my mother the book for the first time, and she read it, and you know, I get a call a couple days later, and she's like, "I had no idea. <gasps> I had no idea." Wow, really? My yeah, my friends they had no idea. My ex wife she had no idea, zero. Oh my god! And yeah. I just, I, I love this. I think, I mean, for everyone, I think this book is going to be awesome. I can't wait to read it. I'm getting it myself because there's a lot of people I know who are affected by mental health or that I have an inkling there's issues going on. And so I want to learn from your point of point of view, just the last 55 minutes of talking with you, I've mentioned it many times at how ignorant I am, and I don't think I'm alone in understanding what it really is like to to have these challenges and to know how to deal with them, and and the importance of um, of the things that we talked about. So I so encourage everyone listening to buy this book, and if it's not for yourself, to share it with someone who maybe can benefit from it. I think it's such an important book, and I'm so grateful for having you on the show, Justin. This is such an important message, and. You are awesome. I could talk to you for hours because there's, we, like I said, we just scratched the surface. There is so much more. So 
thank you, thank you, thank you for being so honest and stepping into this role that you have of not caring anymore about what people think because you understand the importance of the message that you have to share. That's huge. So I am so grateful for that. So let me just tell you guys really quick. Next week, I have to tell you who's going to be on because I'm very excited. It is my new friend, Daniel Gutierrez. He went from, Justin, you'll find him interesting. He went from this high-strung, A-type corporate executive who was not super easy to be around to now he's the spiritual teacher who goes around the entire world influencing for positive change. He's absolutely amazing. He he was also a White House advisor for the uh, Barack Obama administration. So he worked directly with Barack Obama. He is quite an interesting person and he has a huge message. And I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with that, with that interview because He's, he is just so funny. He said he wanted to talk about dating, um, but we will, we will end up with an awesome show. So I hope you will all come back. Justin, thank you again for being here. And I can't wait to get your book. I'm probably going to buy a few of them because I think it's a great gift and I want to have one for myself too. So thank you again for being here. As always, everyone, remember that gratitude attitude. I think we hit on it so much in today's show, but just tell people that you love and those around you, one thing every single day that you're grateful for with that person and watch your relationships blossom. Thanks again for being here. Until next week, you can follow us at at Midori Verity on Facebook and all social media. And I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Kick-Ass Relationship Show with Midori Verity. We hope you've enjoyed the show and want to share the love by passing on our web address, midoriverity.com forward slash show to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous shows. This has been a Midori Verity International Production. Join us next time on the Kick-Ass Relationship Show to add passion and fun to enjoy the most extraordinary relationship and life.